0: Amen. Hey, it's good to be back with y'all. Uh, so thankful for Ryan and Brad opening the word and sharing with you guys, continuing in our study of 1 Thessalonians. I know you benefited uh, from Ryan and Brad, and uh, the gift the Lord has given to each of them and enabling them to come in and teach. Man, I just want to say a word of thanks. Uh, two weeks ago, or I guess three weeks now, when I was here, it was our 10-year anniversary, and we have been so richly blessed uh, financially through the love offering that you gave to our family, and just through the cards, texts, emails, and a variety of other ways you guys have reached out and just expressed the ways that, uh, that our family has ministered to you over the years. Uh, it means a great deal uh, you know, to get a handwritten note from somebody that just says, this is how you've impacted me, this is how you've impacted my family over this time. And so just a word from my family to you, thank you so much for that. That is much appreciated. Um, and you can remember that. Uh, when, where's Justin? Justin, can you wave your hand? So, Justin hits 15 years. Um, I hit 10. He hits 15 just right around the corner. If you missed out and you're thinking, good night, I missed out, hey, like you've been warned, like you've got a long time coming. Uh, Justin's going to hit 15 and just bless that guy's socks off. Shannon puts up with a lot. And so, we want to bless her, bless their family. And so, man, it is, it is good to be back with y'all. Today, we're going to finish out uh, this section of text here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 through 28. In the next week we're going to look at the book as a whole to try and get the big picture of what Paul was painting. But why don't you go ahead and make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 through 28. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. We'd love for that to be a gift from us to you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front of the uh front of the Bible, and it's going to let you know how to locate the book of 1 Thessalonians. And then as we make our way through today, the large numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses. We're going to hit a variety of other verses, but for the most part, we're going to be right in there in 1 Thessalonians. So you may just want to write down those other references, uh, and you can track with those a little bit later. Hey, let's read this passage and then ask God's blessing once again upon this time we have together. Starting in verse 23, Paul prays. He says, God, we come into this place recognizing that you and you alone are the giver and sustainer of life. And God, we need you this morning to come into this place that your spirit would flow freely in our lives, that you would enrich and liven our time of worship, that you would equip us to understand that your spirit would be applying the truth of your word to our hearts. God, this morning we come in intimately aware, acquainted with grief, with difficulty, uh, we are aware of those in our community who are suffering. God, this morning as a body, we want to pray specifically for Chet Haney and Highland Terrace as he's continuing to deal with the effects of cancer and take ongoing treatments. God, as they're seeing staff transition, and we just want to pray for Highland Terrace. Oh, we want to come and we want to ask that you do an, just an incredible work. I'm reminded that your word says that when we are weak, therefore you're strong. God, you use the humble, you use the weak, you use the unlikely to accomplish amazing things. God, you use us best when we're weak and humble. God, I'm sure in some sense today that they're feeling weak and humbled. Would you do an amazing ministry through that church, through that body, that staff, that group of lay people who love you? God, would you cause their outreach be seasoned as with salt as lost people roll into that church would they just encounter a living and vibrant gospel hope saturating the lives of those people and that their lives would be changed forever altered as they encounter Jesus Christ and redemption in his name God we're so thankful this week to have witnessed the end of Roe v. Wade God we praise you Uh, We adore you. And and in some sense, we just stand back and think, are you serious? Has this really happened? Have the prayers of so many finally come about and been answered? But God, even as we pray this, we were reminded that the work is not over. God, the ministry we need to do towards women who today, even today, find themselves pregnant and are fearful and terrified because what once seemed like an answer to some of them is no longer an answer. God, I pray that as the church, that as the people who love you, who love the unborn, that we would minister to them out of compassion, out of brokenness, and out of a sense of we want to serve you, we want to serve your unborn child. We are not seeking to be punitive. Now is the time for us to shine with compassion. God, help us not to gloat. Help us not to beat our chest and say, here we are. Help us not to hold on to power greedily. Help us not to see this and this alone, the courts movement, as an answer to our prayer. But God, we see you stirring in the hearts of people, causing us to come to the ends of our quest for financial stability, causing us to come to the ends of our quest for autonomy, causing us to come to the ends of, of, of whatever that we set before you, whatever we set in front of. So, God, I pray that we would be a people equipped, a people ready, a people whose hearts are bent and ready to step in and minister to those in need and to those who aren't aware of their need. God, would you season our speech? Would you ready our hearts? Would you stay our hands? God, we praise and adore you. You are capable of wondrous things, and we ask you to do infinitely more than we could ask, think, or imagine. God, you indeed are faithful. Would you guide us in your faithfulness? Would you cause us to trust in you in all things? God, we pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of his blood and the equipping of his spirit. Amen. Amen. I, I met with Brad Carwell a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we we're in my office. I guess it's a month ago. And he walks in with a passage, and he said, says, like, There seems to be a lot of commands in here, and I think there's like 15, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. He said, how do you see me preaching this? In essence, he's trying to get at, like, are you wanting me to run through this entire list and just tell people, uh, you know, do all of these things and don't do any of these things over here? And I said, no, that's not really kind of what I envisioned. That's not really what I had in mind. He said, oh, man, I'm so glad to hear that. But I, I, I just want you to flip back there, and I want you to experience what is likely a, a true for many of us on a day-in and day-out basis. Look back at uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, 14 through 22. So Ryan just had this passage, which would have been a great passage for like Minister Appreciation Month or Give the Staff a Raise Month. Uh, and, then, and then Brad stepped in. And look what he says, as we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. So do you see anybody lazy out there? Say, get on to work. Encourage the faint-hearted. Do you see anybody out there? Oh, Tell them, come on, you can do this. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Do this, do this, do this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Are you experiencing evil? Don't return evil to somebody else. Are you seeing somebody out there doing that? Tell them to cut that out. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. And lastly, he caps it all off. Abstain from every form of evil. And so as we read this, as we think about this, it it, it begins to feel a little bit Like pressure, it begins to feel a little bit like I've got all of these things I have to do. I've got all of these plates spinning at the same time. And I've got to make sure this plate is spinning over here. And I've got to make sure this plate is spinning. And I've got to make sure this plate never gets put on a pole to spin. And so there are all these things to do and all these things to make sure I'm not doing and not engaging. And when we do that, their temptation is for us to begin to go through and evaluate how we're doing and how we're accomplishing all these various things. But what we come into in 23 through 28 is the opportunity to inhale God's grace and to exhale his peace. What we come into in this passage is an opportunity to be met in the midst of the preoccupation and the temptation to find ourselves pushing towards this with a God who says, I have this covered. Will you trust? Will you rest? Will you abide in me? Do you remember in 1 Peter In 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 15, Peter's quoting Leviticus, and he says, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy in all your ways. And so there's this call in 1 Peter to be holy, to be righteous, to be innocent before God. And then he compares that, he relates that to his own character. He says, I am holy, I'm righteous in all my ways, and this is what you need to look like in your life. That feels a little bit overwhelming. Because we recognize what we did this last week. We recognize how we spent last night. We recognize what we have this upcoming week. We recognize our proclivity, our tendency, our movement towards sinful self-satisfaction. I was talking to my six-year-old, and this is something that he says a lot of times, typically following a spat of rebellion or spat of, uh, oh, what's what's the word? I'm blanking. It's a really simple one. Ah, there you go. Disobedience. It's just it's just so foreign to me. I just can't even know. It. So it's just after he's been disobedient, like he's hit his brothers, he's played with something he's not supposed to, he's on top of the house again. Like whatever it is. <laughs> and he just says, "We need to pray to God to make the sins not be in my head anymore." <laughs> he's not a Christian. We need to pray to God and make the sins not be in our head anymore. He says, God is coming, and he's going to put sin to death. We know that's true. We know there's coming a day where Jesus is going to peel back the sky, and he's going to deal the final blow to sin and death. It'll be no more. There'll be no more mourning, nor sickness, nor sadness anymore. He's making all things new. In his six-year-old heart, when he's caught up in the middle of rebellion, when he's caught up in the middle of, oh, no, here comes a spanking, It's can you pray that God will make the sins not be in my head anymore? And I think we have the sense that that's where we are. Now it sounds different to us at 20, 30, 40, 15, 103. But the reality of what we want to exist in us is we want these sins not to live in our head or our hearts any longer. And There is hope. Look at what he said to us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He doesn't write and say, no, may the God of peace himself help you in sanctifying yourself. No, may the God of peace himself do these things kind of for you, but he doesn't want to do it all for you because he doesn't want you to be lazy. He doesn't want you to be idle. He says, no, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do you have a sense at which all the commands that Brad led us in, do you have a sense at the admonition from Peter in 1 Peter 1:15 to "Be holy as I am holy," do you have a sense in that at which your God is doing this for you? Man, if you don't this morning, then the good news for you in the Gospel of Jesus Christ is if you are a believer and follower of Jesus, today, even as you sit and you struggle and you wrestle, He has made you holy. Paul writes to this group in Thessalonica, he knows they're wrestling with we aren't as we should be. And so his word to them, his prayer for them is that this God of peace would show up and he would create holiness in every fiber of their being. Now how has he accomplished this? Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 19 through 20 and this is how he describes it. Speaking of Jesus, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, to exist, to be. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? Making peace by the blood of his cross. Today you are holy, righteous, blameless, through the blood of Jesus, held fast by the power of his Spirit. Do you hear what he says In. It's not that you went to preteen camp and you didn't raise your voice at somebody. It's not that you went to youth camp and when you got smacked in the face by mud, you didn't grab up a big chunk of mud laced with rocks and hurl it back at somebody's face. It's not that as a parent you enjoy the time without your kids more than sometimes you enjoy the time with your kids. Just me. It's none of these things. It's not you doing this. It's him accomplishing these things for you. Notice the totality with which he is calling on God to sanctify them completely. Think through your current sin struggle. Not your neighbors, not your wives, not your kids, not your grandparents. What is your sin struggle right now? If you were to name it just in the quietness of your heart, what is that? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it disbelief? Is it a quest for power? Is it anger? What is your personal sin struggle? Not the thing you struggle with this week, but the thing you find yourself coming back to. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that personal, private sin struggle, and I want you to think about that in terms of what God is going to do in you. He's going to sanctify you completely. That personal sin struggle you find yourself going back to over and over again, my heart is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it that personal sin struggle you find yourself going back to over and over again, that rage, that anger just lives inside of you, it's right below the surface of you, that anytime something happens outside of what you want, it just explodes. It explodes on your kids, it explodes on your spouse, it explodes on anybody near you. What is it? Are you willing to receive the love of God in the truth of this passage that the God of peace himself Paul prays is going to come towards you and it's going to sanctify you completely. He's going to make it so that that's not a part of you. It's not a part of who you are. That's not a part of how you operate. That's not a part of how you think. This is what this good God is going to do. He doesn't do it on the basis of your striving. He doesn't do it on the part of your working. He doesn't do it on the part of the earnestness of your heart. He doesn't do it on the part of your good intentions. He does it because that's who he is. And he's created us to be like him. He makes us to be so. He goes on, he says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us, some of us, some of us have experienced episodes of sinlessness. It's called sleep. And some of us have experienced extended moments of this. It's called the quiet time with coffee before kids. And others of us have experienced times where we've overcome sin. And it's amazing. But then we come crashing back down to reality. We come crashing back down to the reality of whatever sin we're struggling with peeps up its head, pops up its head, or it takes on a new costume, it takes on a new design, a new reflection, and we see ourselves and we feel just as ruined as we were before. Do you see what he goes on to say? He says, listen, it's not enough that God is just going to perfect you at his coming, but he prays for the totality of all that we are. He splits them into three to show just how exhaustive they are. He's not making a claim that there are three divisions on who we are, but he says it's your body, your soul, and your spirit. Everything that you are, every facet of your fiber of being, and all the things in you that are eternal, he wants God to work so incredibly repletely within you. He wants him to work in everything that you are, and all those things that you aren't even yet aware of. To the point that he keeps you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the love of God in you? Do you see the love of God in us as a fellowship? Now let's just say we're able to think of one person in this room that we say, okay, this person has a shot at not sinlessness because that's insane, but like partially sinlessness. Who would that be? Raise your hand if you think you're a good candidate. I see you've been the back Sally Martins. And so look, we're just going to go with it. She raised her hand. She didn't, I'm lying, and it's to illustrate a point. Let's go. So we're all just kind of captivated, and like the entire goal for us as a body is to pray for Jeremy and Delane or or Dee or or whoever it is, and and our entire goal is to pray for them that they would be sinless. We'd say that's pretty intense. That's, that's, That's a lot, but that's not it. Paul's praying for an entire group of people in a church to be holy. Do you get the difficulty of that? Do you get the overwhelming nature of that? Y'all, you know, Paul's desire, God's design, is that you and I, Ridgecrest Baptist Church, be holy. It's not enough that we'd be welcoming. It's not enough that we be kind. It's not enough that we're a warm and gracious church. He wants us to be holy and he's bending our circumstances, and he's bending our lives, and he's bending our experiences in this community and in the 21st century to make us that. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May he make your body, soul, and spirit to be kept blameless, protected, and kept blameless. Going back uh, to First Peter just for a moment, Peter's describing the same thing, the same thing that's waiting for us, that is kept for us, lest you tend to believe. And you say, I just don't know if I can make it. I just don't know if I can run the race. I just don't know if I can finish. I just don't know if I can be good enough. Look at what he says, starting in verse three of chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has done what? Has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you listed in there as having done something? no. And that's the best news you'll hear all day. Through the blood of Jesus, he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. To wait for what at the coming of Jesus? To To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he goes on, he says, it's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God has the best present, kept in heaven for you. You can't mess this up. You can't miss out on this. You can't somehow mess this up so bad that it can't be fixed. It can't be redeemed. God recognized in our hearts that we are prone to waywardness. So what has he done? He's taken the inheritance that is ours through the blood of Jesus, and he securely placed it in heaven, and it is kept there for us for all time until the revealing. Amen. This is how much he loves you. This is how much he cares for you. These are his plans. This is his design for you. This is his design for us. This God of peace who is coming again. The author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews describes it this way in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says, "Now may the God of peace who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good. For what purpose? That you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is working something amazing in you. He is working redemption in you. He is working forgiveness of sins in you. He is working to make you holy. you hear this. And it's almost like Paul was anticipating their yeah, but response. So he goes on. And he makes an appeal directly to God's character. And he says, He who calls you is what? He who calls you is, everybody say faithful. He who calls you his faithful, he will surely do it. Now, where is he called you from? This is an important thing to observe. Now the text there really describes Jesus, and it names him, in some sense, this idea that he is the one who is calling. He is the calling one, and he has called you. Ephesians 2 says, "He has called you from dead to alive." First uh, Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, what we see is that we've been called from the darkness and into light. In the middle of these things, recognize this, that you were dead and you were in the dark and you've been moved from life and you've been moved into light. And he still calls you today. He's still calling. Like, I don't know where you are in the middle of your mind, in the middle of your experience, in the middle of your life, where you have moved beyond this understanding of what God wants to do in you and what God actually is doing in you. Perhaps this morning, where you sit, and as you're thinking through these things, and as you're even getting ready for church, and what's coming in your mind right now is, God, He doesn't know my experience. He doesn't know my reality. He doesn't know the fears in my heart. He doesn't know the doubts in my mind. I mean, listen. For most of you, I absolutely don't know those things. But there's a God in heaven who sent his son to die for you and his spirit cries out over and over again. Just as Jesus sits at the right hand of the father in his declaration about you to the father is they are yours. They are yours. And his spirit is carrying your prayers over and over up to him. Even in the middle of these things, he is calling you and calling you and calling. Do you hear the call of God in the middle of your struggle with sin? Do you hear the call of God in the middle of your doubt of his faithfulness? He who calls you is faithful. Too many of us struggle with this idea of faithfulness. We evaluate our lives on how other people see us, that when we're a disappointment to somebody, they write us off, that when we struggle in some ways, then people are just done with us. And our assumption is God operates under the same economy. In your failures, he calls you Louder. In your struggle, he calls you tenderly. In your disappointment, he calls you consistently. He who calls you is faithful. Our God has not failed you, and he will not. Notice that Paul doesn't just leave it in this understanding that he called you in the past, and he's calling you right now. He says he surely will do it. He points to the future. Your past is settled and dealt with through the blood of Jesus. Your present is abiding through the blood of Jesus, and your future is secure because of the blood of Jesus. Do not worry. Do not wrestle. Do not be caught in disbelief or doubt, but trust in the faithfulness of our God. Paul writes and says, he is faithful. He will surely do. You notice the amazing thing is he praise this for this body before he ever asks anything of them he wants them to know where they stand before god and how they stand before god before he turns to begin to ask them to do something but look at what he asked them back in chapter one and verse two paul had prayed He he had remembered them always before god the father in their prayers And now he turns and he says, brothers, pray for us. Paul is out there and he's with Sylvanus and he's with Timothy. And what he recognizes is that he needs the prayers of the saints. I feel like there are often times when we recognize that we need the prayers of the people around us. But have you considered that the people around you need your prayers? If you'll just take a moment and and just observe the people to your left, the people to your right, and in front and behind you. Some of those people you know. I mean, I, I can look at and I see spouses sitting together. I see families sitting together. But also I see people sitting alone. I see people whose families don't come with them. I see people occupied on cell phones. I see a variety of things from this vantage point. None of us are in here by ourselves. Paul, in the middle of this, cries out, he says, pray for us. This entreaty. Paul humbles himself before this group that he's writing to, that he's giving instruction to, and his request is for prayer. If we're going to be a church that submits itself to the sanctifying work of the Lord, then we need to be a church who submits ourselves to be able to and willing to pray for one another. One of the best things that we do is our monthly prayer gathering. Where we get together and we just pray as a body, and we just pray and ask the Lord, would you do something in our midst? Would you stir up our hearts? Would we be a group of people who are growing and holy? What would it look like for you to pray for those around you? What would it look like for you to go to those near to you and ask for something specific they could pray for? Instead of just saying, pray for me, I'm going through a hard time, say, pray for me. I've really been struggling with depression lately. Would you, pray with, would you pray for me? I've been really struggling with doubt. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? My relationship with my kids or my spouse or my work is in jeopardy. What would it look like for you to take that type of vulnerability? Look at what he goes on to say in verse 26. He says, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. This is an outward demonstration of vulnerability and unity. Now this isn't something that we're looking to bring here to Ridgecrest. since so everybody goes, yeah, I'm no, just kidding. So Valerie's family I'm marrying—they're all Italian on her dad's side—and they've never heard of personal space. Doesn't exist, right? And so uh, I think it's like my first time to be over there with them and her aunts. When you go to say hello or goodbye to them. They pull you into this all-enveloping embrace like you become them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm wearing their clothes and perfume and makeup and all these things at this time. <clears throat> and they pull you in, and somehow their head just goes side to side, but their lips are just tucked all the way back over here. I don't, as, as far as I can go, but like their lips are all the way back over here because they are covered in the most staining lipstick to demand. But somehow still, you end up with lipstick on both sides. Like, I don't know how this happened. It's just like, mwah mwah And you're just like, what happened? <sighs> you bathe with fast orange for a week, you still smell like Estee Lauder. <laughs> but what you experience in that moment is love. I and mean, I didn't know them, they didn't really know me, What what you experience in that moment is an embrace of love. You know, the... Deal that Paul's describing in here of of greet the brothers with a holy kiss. The context of that's the Lord's Supper. So, the way this would work, they get in there and there's some teaching, there's some prayer. Before they take the supper, they exchange this traditional kiss. And so, it's typically man to man, woman to woman, it's on the side of the face, it's on the forehead. But what that kiss is meant to display is unity and vulnerability. There is no open hostility between you and me. There is no hostility between us as a body. And that's what he's looking at. It doesn't mean there aren't issues. It doesn't mean that, that everybody loves everybody and everybody's having over at everybody's house. But it means there's no open hostility between them. So this is what he asked them to manifest the God who's doing the sanctifying work in you, let it be visible in the fact that you're able to engage in this brotherly kiss, this holy kiss with one another. If we're going to be a church that submits to the sanctifying work of God, we've got to be vulnerable, we've got to be unified. If we're going to be a church that submits to the sanctifying work of God, we have to be a church that's devoted to the word of God. Look at what he says here in 27. He says, I put you... Under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Another way that he describes this, or you can interpret this, is I charge you to take this oath. It's as if they're the ones taking this command before the Lord. Like, I swear on the Bible we're going to do this. I swear on this reality we're going to do this. They're a church that has committed themselves to the word of God. If we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to grow in holiness, then we can't give ourselves... Regardless of whatever happens in the future of this church, we can never give ourselves to pursuing anything else other than the Word of God. I have a friend who pastored for 30-plus years. There's a change in leadership of this church. And while it's supposed to be still pursuing the Word of God, it's different, and and, and it just feels different. If we're going to be a church that continues to pursue what it is to be sanctified and made holy, then we need to be a church who's always devoted to the Word of God in every facet of our ministry. We're not seeking to change culture. We're not seeking to do these things primarily. We're seeking to be devoted to the Word of God. And then lastly, if we're going to be a church that is sanctified, that allows God's sanctifying work to happen in in this place, then we need to be a church that focuses on the grace of God. You see, it's the grace of God that allows us to cover over offenses. It's the grace of God that allows us to deal with difficulty. It's the grace of God that allows us to to embrace those who for a time have walked away. It's the grace of God that is operative in your life and mine. Amen? Amen? Is that who we want to be? Is that how we want to operate? If we desire the sanctifying work of God in our midst, God making us holy. And we need to be a people devoted to the Lord, trusting in Him who is faithful, praying for those around us, embracing vulnerability and unity devotion to the Word, and being equipped with God's grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We submit ourselves and our lives to you. You and you alone are righteous. You and you alone are holy. God, I pray this morning for any in this place in this hearing. God, they don't know you. They're living lives far from you. Today would be the day that they come to know your son Jesus. God, that today is the day that they would ask you to move in their hearts, that you would move to forgive them of their sins, that they would turn from them and turn towards Jesus. God, I pray for those of us in this place we are struggling to see you as faithful. We know you've called us, but we feel like you've left us. Your word tells us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Even in the darkest valleys, would you cause us to know that and cling to your word? Psalm 23 says that even in the deep darkness of despair that you are with us, your rod and your staff, they are a comfort to us. In humility, would you cause us to cry out in our disbelief, our hurt, our wandering hearts? Help us to long and thirst for a new experience of your love for us. God, we submit these things to you and ask that you just continue to stir and move in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.